Hello and welcome to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Santiago, and this week we have a special episode celebrating the release of Deep Overstock Issue 13, Future. We'll begin tonight with The Wasteland, three pieces in the present looking toward the future. Oh men, oh women. The future isn't always as bright as the rising sun. Sometimes the future is as bleak as a robot bored of its purpose, or a dystopian technological landscape, or hellscape. We'll hear work by Bogdan Groza, Ben Crowley, and Walter Moon. Our first piece is Sal. That's S-A-L by Bogdan Groza. Bogdan was born in Romania and is currently living in Italy. Bogdan finished a master's degree program in European, American, and post-colonial language and literature at the faculty of Padua. Bogdan's been writing since about the age of 18 and has several short stories and poems that have found their way in minor Italian anthologies. Bogdan has recently managed to publish his very first book, Athena, with a small publishing company. Now, here's Sal by Bogdan Groza. No harmful bacteria detected. pH level is within acceptable range. Nitrates, sulfates, iron and manganese levels are stable. Water analysis complete. Drinkable. Examination phase cleared. Proceed with mission. It has been 4,625 days since I was placed to guard this post, make daily water analysis, and await further instructions. My program dictates it. Still no creator has come to change the mission parameters. I would say that time has gone by slowly, but I would be stating a fact that is not true. I would be merely attempting to reenact fragments of literature that my memory banks have examined. My name, if you can call it that, is Sal Free.404 and it stands for Sentinel Artificial Lifeform, Series 3, followed by my identification number. I do not know what the other models or numbers are doing now. The only recollection I have of them comes from my very first hours when I was still linked to the collective. I was informed that it was better for me to be disconnected from them because it was possible to be hacked and that the creators want to make the SAL series individually operative. I was placed to guard this water source soon after that. The instructions were given to me by means of a patch applied to my software design. It was a simple data disk that reprogrammed my basic functions and gave me my mission. I have not seen a creator since. Every day, as per my assignment, I analyze the water, go outside and keep watch, not knowing what I am supposed to watch for. No one ever passes by. My programming is at best sketchy as the creators would phrase it. And it means that one of my functions is not specified. I must guard the water source and also protect it from the enemy. No further indication. My program can recognize the creators, but I am unable to find anything in my memory bank about an enemy. I have what is called a weapon, and the accuracy to use it. But what is the use of a weapon when I do not know what to use it against? During this routing, for the past 4625 days, I have been defragmenting the bits of data I had downloaded while I was linked to the collective. For the most part, I have found only scraps of information, knowledge of the world of the creators, mostly literature or history. 
I do not think these remains were supposed to be concealed from the collective. I am in fact quite sure of the contrary. For an artificial intelligence to evolve, this knowledge is fundamental. Quite possibly the other models, which I suppose I should call brethren, had full access to this databank. I, on the other hand, was not as fortunate. I have learned little by little from what I was able to collect. I believe that this is why I am being more poetical than my main program would be capable of. While I understand I have a purpose, or rather a mission that I have been programmed to carry out, I do not know why. From the defragmented data I understand that there have been two great wars, but from my calculations they were both fought more than a century before I was built. There have been many more conflicts that the creators had, but none were on a similar scale. The more I try to understand the reasons behind these conflicts, the more I feel my own central processing unit falls into conflict. There seemed to be a constant tension between the creators, but nothing would explain a war. From a logical perspective, a war would only bring more problems, and something called suffering. There is no means to outweigh the cost of a war in favor of a greater good, at least none that I am able to calculate. I surmise that I am still missing vital data for my analysis. The water reservoir that I have been programmed to surveil is located in a cavern in the depths of a mountain and is no more than 50 square meters long. The water drips slowly from stalagmites, almost relentlessly, pacing the passage of time. Every day I analyze the water to make sure that the drinkable parameters are unaltered. After this process is completed, I spend my days wandering outside, defragmenting data and doing my best to process the new information. The mountainside is barren, and for as far as I can go, while not traveling so far as to be unable to make my return before nightfall, I am unable to find traces of the creators. Slowly, I started to evolve my reflective capabilities, trying to understand myself. It was not in my programming, of course, but given the fact that my main functions did not require too much of my central processing unit, I had the memory banks to spare. Every day, there was new information I was able to decipher. The more I read, the less I understood. Many of the words seemed to infer a deeper meaning. If however the creators did in fact discover transcendental truths, then why were they not put into practice? Why had the creators not applied their own teachings? As the stalagmites continued dripping, I too continued my reading. One particular fragment reported that the main character, even though bound within a nutshell, would still count himself a king of infinite spaces. I started to wonder if this could be applied to me. My nutshell was the cave I had to guard, or the very same mission I had, not knowing the reason behind it. But did I count myself a king of infinite spaces? I surmised that this quote was about freedom, and surely I had the freedom of thought. At least I concluded that I did based on the evidence. If I was programmed with a mission, was there also the chance I was programmed to think how I did? I understood the inconsistency of this reasoning, and yet 
I could not reach a definite conclusion. Was I lacking other information once again? I continued my search through the fragmented data, trying to find new evidence. One day, I found a book called Notes from the Underground. I thought it could help that it may refer to a similar situation as my own, but that was not the case. Another line in another book referred to the fact that it is only in small portions that we just beauties see, and so I wondered if I was unable to appreciate or compare these quantities. As other times before, I had to surmise that these were the pieces of data that I lacked. One new day, one new water analysis. Everything is still within the parameters. I continued my inquiries into freedom. One particular character from yet another book spoke of freedom as one of the most precious gifts that heaven had to bestow. He also said that it was for the same freedom, as well as for honor, that life was supposed to be ventured. I wondered much about this protagonist. He seemed to lack even more information about the surrounding world than myself. In every adventure he ended up being beaten or doing something he was not supposed to do. Was I doing something I was not supposed to? If the creators came back and found my central processing unit elaborating a similar reasoning, would I be branded as dysfunctional, just as the story of the sad night? Day 7830. Water analysis complete. Result? Not drinkable. While my surveillance mission was a success, the end result was not. I still do not know if I had a true purpose and if the creators were supposed to make their return to the reservoir. I do not think it would matter. I have decided that this log will be my last. I will leave this memory bank in the cavern and if the creators ever returned, at least they will be able to understand what happened to me. This tiny chip contains my life and all my thought processes. It is strange to think that something so small can encapsulate who I am and what I have done up until this point, confined within a nutshell. I will leave it here as a testament to what I have done, and I will take for myself the freedom to venture in the world, similarly to what the sad knight had done. I do not know if it is a foolish thing, or if I hope to find anything of use. All that I know is that I was able to make this decision on my own. And now three pieces by Ben Crowley. The light tower, the mounted wall speaker, and the television. Ben Crowley is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He is happy to get back to writing because he has already paid a kidney, a finger, and a thumb, three molars, to deep overstock and is considering forking over his left foot. Now, here's the light tower, the mounted wall speaker, and a television by Ben Crowley, read by Mickey Collins. The Light Tower by Ben Crowley There is an immense light on immense legs. It is as if the bulb of a lighthouse were rolled onto the legs of a water tower. As men lose their hair and graduate high school, they ascend the ladder up the tower. They got a woman pregnant, or had to shave their head, or lost a testicle to cancer. They sling beers down their backs and climb up the light. 
At 1,000 watts, a tungsten ball burns at 575 degrees. They drink beer until they can push themselves into the light. The Mounted Speaker by Ben Crowley There is a mounted wall speaker which the men gather, too. You are hateful, says the mounted wall speaker. The men push their heads closer to the concrete wall under the speaker, as if they were piglets pushing for the nipples of the sow. You are dirty tricksters and liars, says the mounted wall speaker. The men push so hard that some chests collapse and the bodies of the dead men dangle, suspended in the sea of ravaging shoulders. You are rotten eggs, says the mounted wall speaker. The Television by Ben Crowley The man comes into the television room. I've had enough of this life, says the man to the television. The television shows the man an ad for Pepsi-Cola. I said I've had enough, says the man. The ad for the Pepsi-Cola becomes louder than the man can think. Enough, says the man. The apartment fills with the refreshing scraping and clacking of a thousand cans of Pepsi-Cola. The man crawls to his television, reaching out to it as if it will pull him from the crevice of living. Pepsi-Cola, he says. The television spits on the man. It reminds him of his mother. And closing tonight is God's in His Heaven, and all orders will be fulfilled by Walter Moon, read by Robert Eversman. Walter has been lost in books since birth and bookselling in one way or another for almost 20 years. Living in Portland with his partner, Nat, and their companion, Mishka, he strives to find the key to our immortality, but at times has the, has the trouble of finding the own key to his house. Now, here's God's in His Heaven, and all orders will be fulfilled by Walter Moon, read by Robert Eversman. God's in his heaven, and all orders will be fulfilled by Walter Moon. Charlie stood on his toes and swiveled his head in an attempt to see the front or the back of the seemingly endless line he was currently in. To his right stood one of the many massive warehouses of Amazon Compound 9. To his left stood an ever-encroaching mountain of plastic trash. The smell reminded him of something between rotting turkey and used diapers. Exasperated and uncomfortable in his respirator, he leaned against the concrete wall of the warehouse. A drone flew over the fence that bordered the compound and dropped a Red Bull-flavored Ultimate Crunch Burrito Dita wrapper onto the plastic hill. Charlie watched the mass shift and slide, inching closer to the line of people pinned against the never-ending concrete wall. A nervous murmur rippled through the line while Charlie fantasized that the mountain, receiving one wrapper too many, would come crashing down and wipe him from existence. The smartwatch on his wrist beeped and buzzed, startling him from his daydream. He looked down and saw the usual bright strobing flash, followed by a blue cartoon smirk that made him feel like he was the butt of someone else's joke. Thursday, March 15th, 2039, 1.28 p.m. Productivity decreased. Weekly wages docked 4%. Please return to work at Compound 7 immediately to prevent further wage... Reduction, the electronic voice said cheerfully. Charlie wanted to scream at the watch, but knew from experience it wouldn't help. Ever since that executive order, I've thought about taking mine off. Charlie was being addressed by the person safely six feet ahead of him in line. 
from their designated socially distanced square painted on the ground. Like Charlie, they had on the standard company-issued jumpsuit with the Smile logo over the breast pocket, and of course, their respirator. Also company-issued. These strangers' mask hid their face, but Charlie swore they were smiling from the sound of their muffled voice. Charlie, who dreaded social interaction with strangers, just smiled and nodded before realizing the stranger couldn't see his face very well either. Uh, which one is that? I have trouble keeping track of them. The stranger, puzzled, looked down at their watch. Company model? Same as you. Uh, no, I, I mean the uh, executive order. Oh, 13839. Which one is that? The time theft and the productivity-based pay thing. I kind of just thought, what can they do if I take it off? Won't they arrest you? Charlie said. I'd like to see them. But the stranger was interrupted by a loudspeaker overhead that he hadn't noticed before. It began blaring triumphant music that made a few in line cover their ears. Fastened to the concrete wall below the speaker stood a giant screen displaying a waving flag of red, white, and blue. The screen faded slowly to black, then displayed three smaller logos in the center of the screen. Looming and unmoving, a castle, the stylized letters P and J and finally the ever-present large blue smirk that doubled as an arrow, forever pointing towards the future, towards progress. Following the logos, like a blinding sunrise, came the bald head and immaculately shaved face of a man half-smiling and looking with large glazed eyes into the camera, a face known to everyone. Hello, Amazonians. Jeff here. I just wanted to thank you all in person for doing your part. This virus has been hard on all of us. This isn't business as usual. And it's a time of great stress and uncertainty. It's also a moment in time when the work we're doing is most critical across the world. People are feeling the economic effects of this crisis, and I'm sad to tell you. I predict things aren't going to get worse before they get better. Charlie struggled to pay attention to the voice, which droned on in a simultaneously nauseating and hypnotic tone. He fumbled in his pockets in search of his last no-sleep, hoping it might help him focus, but Charlie's pockets were empty. The emptiness reminded him of his kids back at home, waiting for their lives to be filled with anything, and waiting on him to fulfill it. Luckily, the recruitment manager had designated him a fulfillment specialist upon being hired. When the Disney-sponsored Pfizer and Johnson's vaccine presented by Amazon rollout started two years ago, we made sure to vaccinate high-priority people first in order to ensure your safety and care. Now, two years later, it's your turn, my fellow Amazonians, and I want you to know Amazon will continue to do its part, and we won't stop looking for new opportunities caused by the economic fallout across our communities to help. I know that we're going to get through this together. Namaste. The screen went blank. Charlie heard a beep and felt his wrist buzz. Forty-three minutes later, while Charlie was wondering if the rumors were true about Jeff's brain being put into a DARPA bot after the purity trials of 2032, 
Two people in dark uniforms riding on hoverboards rolled up and took the stranger in front of Charlie away. The stranger looked panicked and tried to make eye contact with any other person in line. Charlie knew he should be worried about whether their conversation was what led to the stranger being whisked away, but all he could wonder was why they were called hoverboards and not wheelie planks or even something more straightforward like people movers. They were just single-person platforms with wheels on each end. It didn't make any sense. His thought began to drift back to robo-Bezos when he heard a commotion from the people behind him. Charlie turned around just in time to see one of the hoverboards lose control and careen directly into the base of Trash Mountain. Both rider and board were immediately enveloped, disappearing completely, as Charlie's prophetic vision was nearly realized. With a low rumble to the mountain... With a low rumble, the mountain tumbled down and spread, forming a wall between the fence and the concrete warehouse. The stranger, the dark uniformed hoverboards, and everyone behind Charlie in line was now either underneath or behind a great wall of used takeout containers and surgical masks. A bottle that read, Echo, juice, cleanse! And a hypodermic needle clattered at Charlie's feet as the trash slide settled. He had been spared. Facing forward, Charlie saw that most of the people in line in front of him had already turned back around. There was a tone from the overhead speaker, and the line began moving. Charlie moved up this Charlie moved up to the space formerly inhabited by the stranger. After ten minutes of slowly moving forward, box to box, Charlie could see what he thought was the end of the line. But he knew better and to get excited about something in his future that gave him hope. But he knew better than to get excited about something in his future that gave him hope. He turned back to see the plastic wall still there, though smaller in the distance, and wondered if his work block would be assigned to clean it up. Work block transfers weren't uncommon, and he enjoyed the change of scenery, even if it resulted in a wage decrease due to time theft when traveling between compounds. Charlie again craned his neck, stood on his toes, and squinted his eyes in an attempt to see over the heads of people spaced out before him. He was convinced the corner of the building lay ahead. While looking ahead, Charlie's foot crossed the outside of the square he was standing in, and another alarm went off. He quickly pulled his foot back and tried to look casual. From out of nowhere, another darkly uniformed person on a hoverboard showed up in front of him. Sorry, uh, it was just for a second. I was just trying to... Charlie stammered before being interrupted. Hey, hey, no big deal, they assured him. It's something we're trying to fix. The uppers had floated the idea of the alarm boxes to keep the people honest, but we haven't been able to turn them off. Anyway, don't worry. Okay, Charlie said unable to stop himself from worrying. However, I do need to take your picture real quick for our records, the uniform said as they grabbed the tablet connected to their hip and snapped his photo. What record? Why record? Charlie said as he raised his hands to block his face from being photographed far too late. It's just protocol, the uniform beamed, looking from Charlie's employee number patch to the tablet as they typed. Don't worry. Charlie again swore he heard a smile underneath the respirator and wondered why that only made him feel worse. Beep! 
Buzz. Thursday, March 15th, 2039, 3.30 p.m. Productivity decreased. Weekly wages docked 4%. Please return to work at Compound 7 immediately to prevent further wage reduction. The electronic voice said cheerfully as Charlie covered his watch in an attempt to muffle the sound. He looked at the uniform with an embarrassed smile before remembering again that his mask obscured his face. I... Charlie started to speak, but was cut off by the uniform holding up a hand, requesting silence as they listened to their earpiece. The uniform Charlie could now definitely tell was no longer smiling. It appears uh, we need to interview you in regard to a complication with the line. Please come with me. Before Charlie could object, another uniform showed up, and they escorted him out of line. They passed along the outer fence where it looked like people were protesting. The group was small, but had signs decrying Amazon's support of Raytheon's assertion that if corporations are people, then it's within their rights to run for president. The righteous crowd was drawing nervous looks from those inside the compound fences. Across from the growing crowd of protesters, there seemed to be a counter-protest with people draped in stars and stripes-themed clothing and yelling at the other side. Although this caught Charlie's attention, he returned to pleading with the officers, trying to explain his situation was no help. And before long, he was brought to a different warehouse that looked identical to the one he had just spent hours leaning against. The officers on either side of Charlie and holding him by his arms and collar directed him to a small room inside the massive warehouse. They sat him down in a chair facing another official-looking person behind a desk. The small room had no windows, but a screen attached to the wall to Charlie's left with what appeared to be a looping video of a beach somewhere, surely very far away from Compound 9. On the wall to his right was a poster for No Sleep Pills that read, Stay woke, get more out of the day with no sleep. No side effects, no problem. The words were followed by fine print that Charlie was convinced could only be read with a magnifying glass. Above the text was a picture of young, healthy people smiling and lounging in a park he'd never seen before. The person behind the desk cleared their throat, seemingly impatient to get started. So it looks like you were involved in encouraging vandalism of Amazon property, they said, looking at the large flat screen atop the desk. I had nothing to do with that guy. He was the one talking about taking off his watch. The person behind the desk tilted their head in confusion and began typing. I see. Yes, we are interviewing that person right now. I was referring to the destruction of the waste storage system, but I'm flagging you to be questioned about that as well. The trash mound? So you did aid in its collapse, they said while continuing to type. No, I'm just saying it's a bunch of trash. It fell when that guy on the hoverboard crashed into it. It's being reported that he was pushed. Pushed? By who? They kept typing. Well, it looks like you were the only person nearby on the vid feed. No, I, I mean, who reported that they were pushed? The uniformed officer. Well, it's a mistake. I didn't do anything. Unfortunately, failing to assist an officer carries a similar punitive measure as encouraging vandalism since they both fall under assault. I cannot believe this. It's bullshit. This isn't fair, Charlie said. 
half enraged, and half worried of the consequences of seeming enraged. The person behind the desk seemed offended. Please try and understand the home office's position. Even this conversation is costing money. No, I... Charlie began to protest before being interrupted by a beep and a buzz on his wrist, followed by that familiar statement of docked wages. This time, Charlie didn't try to muffle the sound. Instead, he allowed it to play completely and let out a deep sigh. Is there a superior I can speak to? Charlie knew this could upset the person behind the desk, but he thought there must be someone who could understand that this was a mistake. The person behind the desk stared at Charlie for a few moments without responding, then tapped a few things on their office screen. That can be arranged, they said as two different uniforms came into the room and removed Charlie, just as roughly as he was brought in. Though he was being physically handled and forced to walk, he began to feel relief. He was brought to a smaller room than the first, where there was only space to stand and face a kiosk built into the wall. Charlie was immediately dismayed to see a run-down plastic and metal robot with the words BOSSBOT 3D VX scrawled across its chest, chest, its chest plate, across its chest plate stationed inside. Hi, I produce identification, BOSSBOT 3D VX interrupted. The official nature of the bot made Charlie straighten up out of a learned fear, and in a clear voice he said loudly, Stafford D5740, scanning... The bot's head turned slightly back and forth as it searched its database. Citizen not found. Initiating renaturalization protocol. Alerting Department of Homeland Culture and Citizen Reinforcement. Charlie's voice cracked in frantic distress. What? There must be some mistake. Hostility detected. No, no, I, I just want alerting department agents of hostile. Shortly thereafter, two department agents arrived in suits, masks, and sunglasses to escort Charlie to the small idling bus awaiting him outside. They requested he sign paperwork containing information about his renaturalization and where to be tomorrow. My kids are at Compound 7 Dormitory C6. They're expecting me. I, I need to go there first, Charlie said, appealing to the stoic agents. Without looking at Charlie, the agent to his right replied, Copy that. The children will be temporarily held until reunification after you have completed renaturalization. The agent then repeated these words into his watch, seemingly replaying the information to his superior. The children are at COM 7 dorm B6. C6, said Charlie desperately. Correction, C6, the agent said into his watch. Once Charlie was aboard, the otherwise empty bus pulled out through the front gate where the protest was now face-to-face -face with the counter-protest both crowds starting to confront each other. Among the counter-protesters, Charlie saw armored members of the Keepers of the Flaming Cross and an elated couple in cowboy hats and flag capes getting married among the throng of yelling people hurling objects at the other side. Charlie watched the scene outside of the barred windows, feeling tense despite being within the metallic confines of the bus. The street was packed, and small skirmishes were beginning to break out where the crowds met. He turned his watch's volume down, ignoring its cheery warnings about low amplification fines as the bus rolled through the now-parting crowd. Charlie flinched as bottles and debris thrown from the crowd shattered against the bus. After making it through the mass of people, the bus began to pick up speed on its automated route, 
Charlie turned to look out of the back window. He could see that the counter-protesters and the keepers of the flaming cross had been joined by the police, now in the phalanx of arms swinging and batons falling, mostly obscured by clouds of tear gas. The protesters scrambled and fled, some fighting back against the three-pronged group in vain. The bus turned a corner and the protest was out of sight, though munition explosions could still be heard blocks away. Charlie used the drive to look over his paperwork. The process seemed anything but painless. If renaturalization was successful, Charlie wouldn't be able to keep his job, which would mean uprooting himself and the kids to whatever new housing dormitory they would be assigned. There was no description of what constituted an unsuccessful renaturalization. After reading through most of the documents and understanding little, he was sure that the legal jargon was used to intentionally confuse those signing on the dotted line. Just as he was about to put the paperwork down, he found one small clause he knew he had to try to understand. Charlie and those he lived with, as part of the protocol for new citizens, would be given free access to the vaccine. Also inside this vaccine would be nanobots described as scrubbers that would work inside your body to increase the effective use of time. No exact description was given about what that meant, and when he was reading the next section on global network linking, his attention was drawn away by the loud noise of a tank rolling down the opposite side of the street towards the direction in which he came, likely headed to the protest, he thought. Charlie shrunk back as the tank slowly passed an undisturbed trap yoga studio. The people inside barely looked out the window as the tank roared by, the thumping of its tracks on the concrete matched the bass from the song booming in the studio. Once it passed, Charlie resumed stressing about his current situation. He fantasized over finding the perfect words or that elusive statement that would persuade someone along the chain of bureaucracy to help him sort out this mistake, knowing that it was too late for that by now. Too many signatures approved, and too many dollars had been spent pushing Charlie down this path. The bus passed high-end shopping centers and boutiques filled with distracting advertisements he let himself absorb. One, a deep fake of Gandhi, promoted Jordan Peterson's new bestseller. How the fuck is Jordan Peterson fucking talking? Synergize your hustle chakra at becoming a successful edgelord in the free marketplace of ideas. Published by Bootstraps Press. After Gandhi's visage faded, an ad for Goop Soma boasted deep relaxation, 100% natural ingredients, and increase in effectiveness when used in conjunction with rose quartz. The bus rounded another corner and began heading towards a massive building he knew to be his destination. Over the next hour, Charlie was ushered by armed guards through door after door, had his blood drawn, his fingerprints and picture taken. Demoralized and exhausted, he was finally brought to a room that looked like it was half-operating room, half-personal theater. First, I'm going to give you the vaccination, said the person strapping Charlie down to the table. Then you'll watch a film about what it means to be a new citizen. And lastly, Charlie opened his mouth to argue, but the person squinted, probably smiling behind their mask, and put one finger to their mouth to silence Charlie, and then continued, Lastly, we'll be giving you a prescription, instructions on the prescription, and a new watch. 
The person squinted even harder in a practiced way and tightened the last strap around Charlie's head. This is a mistake, Charlie said, watching his new future tumble towards him like an avalanche of trash. I, he began before being interrupted by a beep and a buzz and a proclamation coming from his wrist. The voice behind him ignored him completely and spoke in an official tone. Reddit log three fifteen twenty thirty nine at eighteen twelve citizen unknown three two k seven d charges private property destruction accessory to vandalism failing to assist an officer status non citizen slash criminal dependents two at com nine dorm b six Charlie felt a flash of desperation, but his shoulders slumped, and all the fight within him gave out as a needle pierced his skin and sent a cool calm throughout his body. Non-Citizen 32K7D will be permanently linked into the global network under Article 9 of the Commission for Re-Education's New Social Contract. He knew he should feel angry and try to resist, but the years of meaningless existence had worn him down to a state close to something like peace. A peace that promised... It would all be over soon. As Charlie drifted out of consciousness, he found a final comfort in the knowledge that his children would have access to nanobot blood scrubbers that would extend their productivity timetable by up to 50 years. This concludes The Wasteland, episode three of our special event celebrating the release of our 13th issue of Deep Overstock Future. This is a four-part series, so stay tuned, and we'll be back next week with our regular programming. And in two more weeks, we'll continue our future release reading with episode four, The Zenith, hosted by ZB Wagner. You've been listening to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. Our theme music is the song Shibuya by Bad Snacks. Join us again next week, and don't forget to submit for our next issue, Magic, before August 31st. Visit deepoverstock.com slash submissions for specific guidelines.